I knew that what he was asking wasn't really okay. I wanted to run out of the room, but I just stared at the cigarette butts and the ashtray that he kept on his desk. People smoked everywhere back then. episode, I'll offer a nervous system-based definition for forgiveness, answer a question about making time for meditation, and tell you all about my first session with Dr. Leo Dion. I'd appreciate you taking some time after you listen to subscribe, rate, and review my work on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your listen on. I'm Dr. Juco Holiday. Let's get comfortable being human together. Just a heads up, I believe deeply that stories are medicine, but medicine has to be taken at the right time and in the right amount and by the right person. This episode frankly addresses suicidality in childhood and adolescence, and it might not be good medicine for you right now. I also talk about pathways to thriving and overcoming, but if the other stuff feels too heavy, these stories will be here if and when it feels like a good time to listen. Oh, I'm also gonna mention sex, and I'm gonna say the word at least one more time, but I'm not gonna bleep it out. Forgiveness can be a pretty charged word. For me, I can't help but go back to Philip Stimple's CME Church, voices echoing through the sanctuary as we ask the Lord to forgive us our trespasses as we forgave those who trespassed against us. I was educated in a fundamentalist Christian elementary school, and my ideas about forgiveness are shaped by that experience. Forgiveness was something I, as a worthless sinner, had to ask God for on a daily basis. In psychology, forgiveness isn't dependent on any outside source or deity. And forgiveness isn't something given to the offender. It's for the person who has been hurt, betrayed, or injured, and is suffering as a result of another person's unskillful action. It's a decision to release negative emotions and resentment. It's an expression of resilience in the wake of not getting what we hoped for or what we deserved. So I propose we look at forgiveness through the lens of the nervous system, where it will begin with stress management, a process of working with your fight, flight, flee, or feign reactions to an event or person who's hurt you until you're able to access emotions other than fear, rage, avoidance, despair, and other adrenaline-saturated reactions to being on the receiving end of wrongdoing. Dr. Leo Dion, who's deceased, but I changed his name anyway, gave me lots of time and practice to approach forgiveness this way and taught me the importance of persisting in finding medicine that works, especially if the cure that's initially offered feels worse than the disease. I 
I've mentioned a few times about being hospitalized for depression, and I promise I've got lots of stories all about that. But before the bed at Butler Hospital in Providence, Rhode Island, there was the couch in Dr. Leo Dion's office in Dayton. It actually really wasn't a couch like on TV. It was an armchair, and it wasn't comfortable. He was my mother's psychiatrist first. Marlene Fay went to him to get her nerve pill prescriptions refilled. When I asked what their sessions were like, she said, we don't really talk about anything. He just goes on and on about his daughter. A lot. By the time Marlene Faye drove me to that first appointment when I was 17, I'd been living with serious suicidal ideations off and on for almost 10 years. It's hard to picture a child that young doing so, but I made my first suicide plan and gathered the means to carry it out when I was in middle childhood, sometime between second and third grade. I went into my parents' medicine cabinet and carefully gathered up a few pills from all of the bottles that I could find, making sure to take only a few from each one so they wouldn't be missed. I took them and put them in a piece of saran wrap and rolled it into a little ball and twisted off the loose ends. I hid it in a drawer in my room. I called it my ball of deliverance. When things got really rough, I'd dig it out of the drawer and hold it in my hands, turn it over looking at all the different colors of the pills inside, and I would pray really hard asking God to please, please let me know whether if I killed myself I'd go to heaven or hell. Dr. Dion was actually the one responsible for all the Haldol, a powerful antipsychotic drug we now know is also neurotoxic, along with an array of sleeping pills that he'd parked her on for years and years that I put into that morbid little package of mine. I kept it and all my subsequent suicidal plans secret. The shame I felt about it and the suffering I was in was really really thick and after a few embarrassing attempts trying to talk to friends and a few teachers at school I'd concluded I couldn't really trust anyone with the truth with Dr. Leo Dion and I knew from the soap operas that Marlene Faye and I watched together all the time that you were able to talk to your psychiatrist about anything. Finally, perhaps, some help, some relief. Leo Dion was the first black doctor 
I'd ever met. He was short, bald, went to medical school in Europe, and he smoked a pipe. Why don't we go understand that we are put on earth to love? Marlene Faye explained to him that she brought me there because I was having trouble with calculus, missing a lot of school, not eating, and crying a lot. Then she left the room. He asked why I thought I needed to see him. I pulled out a letter I wrote because I was afraid I'd get mixed up or lose my courage to tell him the truth about how I was feeling. I read to him through tears all about the ball of deliverance that I'd finally thrown away when high school started. I was afraid the pills were expired and wouldn't work. I told him how worried I was about myself. A few times a week, I was going out to a long stretch of country road in Jefferson Township and driving my Ford Escort as fast as I could past a cemetery where no one I knew was buried. There was a large oak at one end, right by the side of the road, and I'd take runs at the tree, hoping to get the nerve to turn the wheel just a little bit, and also terrified I'd get the nerve to turn the wheel just a little bit. I told Dr. Dion that I hated myself so much for so long that I started to miss a lot of school because of how hard it was to get out of bed, how hard it was to concentrate once I got there, and that I wanted to make things better, but I was despairing more than I was able to hope of some way out. I wanted to be able to sleep at night, to feel my body, to look in the mirror without turning away in disgust, to want to eat again, to shower more, and to cry less. He never looked up once as I read, and I started to feel embarrassed in that silence. I continued anyway. There were some bright spots. School came easy, so I still got good grades. I wanted to be a doctor, and I was applying to... He cut me off. Tell me, what kind of doctor do you think you want to be? Um psychiatrist or psychologist. I didn't really know the difference back then. He kept writing on his notepad. He was almost imperceptibly shaking his head no. Well, that's not something you do just because you want to solve your own problems. Now, is it? Oh, Right.
Of course. What was I thinking? So tell me, have you ever had sex? I told the truth. I'd been having sex, yes, for a year at that point. All of it consensual at that point. He put his pen down and looked at me for the first time, sighed and reached for his pipe and started to load it with tobacco. And this sex that you had, was it safe? This time, I lied and felt waves of shame and self-hatred flush through my body. He puffed on his pipe and looked at me. I have a daughter, a little bit older than you. She's in college. And I'm as sure as this desk in front of me is solid that she is still a virgin. He told me they had an agreement that she would call him before she had sex. And I tried to imagine that, her with someone stopping the action because she'd promised to call her father first. Then he started to ask me about the details of the sex that I had had. When, where, how many boys I'd done it with, whether I'd enjoyed it. I kept answering his questions, even though I knew that what he was asking wasn't really okay. I wanted to run out of the room, but I just stared at the cigarette butts and the ashtray that he kept on his desk. People smoked everywhere back then. He ended the session by saying, Don't worry. I won't tell your mother about all this sex you've had. He brought her back into the room. Despite the fact that I detailed, without even knowing it at the time, every symptom of a major depressive episode and was reporting factors that put me at risk for dying of suicide, Dr. Dion told Marlene Fay that all I had was a typical case of the teenage blues. He'd like to see me once a month to teach me to be more communicative with my father. Oh, and I should read a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. My mother actually took me to the library to get that book, and I actually tried to read it but I was not okay. I was not okay. I was not okay. Dr. Leo Dion was a shitty clinician who abused his power to demean my 17-year-old self. Between zonking my mother out on drugs shaming me for having sex while pressing me to share all the intimate details to gratify his own needs, convincing me that my problems disqualified me from being a doctor myself, 
and ignoring the real risk my life was in back then. He gave me a lot to be enraged about. And eventually, with guidance from competent therapists, a lot to forgive. Finding balance in harm's wake is an ongoing process. And there's never a mandate to reconcile or stay in relationship with someone we choose to forgive or we're working toward forgiving. It also doesn't relieve them of the need to be held accountable for their actions. Forgiving Dr. Dion was about my personal liberation, not making his harmful behavior okay. The decision to forgive isn't dependent upon anyone telling you they're sorry for what they did. If that were the case, I would still be bound up in all that harm he caused. Deciding to forgive is a black belt level emotional choice to bless and calm your own waters and to stop drowning in hurt, pain, anger, and despair. In Women Who Run With The Wolves, Clarissa Pincole Estes writes, Forgiveness is an act of creation. How do you know if you've forgiven? You tend to feel sorrow over the circumstance instead of rage. You tend to feel compassion for the person rather than anger. You tend to have nothing left to remember to say about it at all. You understand the suffering that drove the offense to begin with. You're not waiting for anything. You're not wanting anything. There is no lariat snare around your ankle stretching from way back there to here. You are free to go. It may not have turned out to be a happily ever after, but most certainly there is now a fresh once upon a time waiting for you from this day forward. I have a question from a listener about not having time to meditate and finding it nearly impossible when he does find the time because of how loud and persistent his thoughts are. So we have this idea that meditation is something that we can just do without building up the capacity to do it first. If you were just starting to lift weights, you would start with lighter weights and work your way up. So it's the same way with meditation. Trying to jump into a long meditation as a first experience and getting frustrated by it can really convince you that you aren't good at meditation. But if you can breathe, you can meditate. So start with one breath. You can do it right now. Wherever you are, pause, eyes open or closed. Place your awareness gently on your breath. Inhale as deeply as you can without creating any tension or drama in your throat, chest, or torso. 
Now breathe out, following the exhale with your awareness. There, you did it. So start where you are, because taking one breath consciously each day is better than promising yourself you'll get around to sitting for 10 or 20 minutes someday. I would be delighted to answer your question and entertain your comments about this material. You can go to my anchor.fm profile page to leave me a voice message or drop me an email. I'm at juco at easemountainyoga.com. Being human can get confusing, so just ask Juco for insights from a fellow flawed and fabulous soul. My goodness gracious, I do a lot of things. And you can go to jucoholiday.com to find out about them, including my in-person yoga teacher training, yoga therapist training, and my super special yoga therapy training for mental health professionals happening at Ease Mountain Yoga here in the Santa Cruz Mountains, not too, too far from San Jose and the San Francisco Bay. I am elated to be on the faculty of 1440 Multiversity, and I'm leading a retreat for women of color in August of 2020 called To Bless Our Own Waters, Reflections on Trauma, Boundaries, Compassion, and Forgiveness. You can visit jucoholiday.com forward slash 2020 retreat to leave me your email address and get notified when the registration links are live. I am a conservationist and a Ronin Institute research scholar in the disciplines of psychology and ecology. I would be so appreciative if you would visit redwoodlove.org and find out about the Care Forest Project and how you can offset your environmental impact for as little as $7 a month. Come on, it's time to move from climate crisis overwhelm to action. That's it for me this time. Next time, we're going to extend our conversation about boundaries and forgiveness into exploring the sweet, awful tension between being in and out of love, being right and wrong, and being in relationship with others. I'm calling this next one, None of My Exes Live in Texas. And I might actually finally tell a medicine story about someone who's not dead. So look out. I publish longer blessing sessions every other Friday with occasional bonus material sprinkled in between. So please be sure to subscribe as you don't want to miss anything. I'm Dr. Juco Holiday. So happy to have your company as we work to get comfortable being human together. Go shine. Really, really bright. <laughs>